I went from being a young single mother and domestic violence survivor to being an award-winning professional in less than three years. I have proved that anyone is capable to turn their life around if they empower and embrace vulnerability and use adversity as a strength and see it as triumph. Welcome to Empower with Ash. Well, thank you. First, I want to say thank you so much for accepting this invitation. And as I said to you, your story and your profile like really connected with me because I was listening to your uh, your story about you know um, being married to a sociopath earlier this week, and I think that's what really got me is because I've just got out of that relationship with a narcissist, so which led into domestic violence. So. Many of the things that you were saying, I like sent shivers up my spine because it sounded like it was just my same story, and it's and you might be the same as me. It's really crazy to hear other people's stories because you felt like you were the only one alone the whole time, and then for yeah. people to go through it, you're like, oh my gosh, other people go through this as well. That and then it makes you think, you know what? Do they all have some sort of play? Is there some sort of secret playbook that they all? Because they're like it's exactly the same things a lot of times. I'm like, wow, that is uncanny. When I started hearing other people's stories, I'm like, is there a secret narcissist or sociopath playbook that I should know about? (laughs) Yes, do they have a whole Facebook group and they all just go, "This is what I did." Yeah. But it's crazy to hear it and then to go, wow, you're not the only person that goes through it and you're not the only person that thought you were crazy because they make you feel like you're crazy. So I'm like, I'm doing a lot of healing during this process and connecting with so many people because I'm like, oh, my gosh, silly me. How dare I think I was alone when so many other people go through it? Yeah, yeah. So when they, you know... People need your voice. That's the, that's the thing. People need, because there are so many people who are either just about to go through that or in the middle of going through that too. Yeah. And so they need your voice and my voice to help them. I know. Yep. It's so powerful as well. That power vulnerability is a huge thing, I think, which is opening up about it. But, yeah, the first thing I want to jump into is your story. And as I said, I loved it. Not other Many other people may have not heard it. But I wanted to, you know, I guess, take us back to that, you know, that's probably your lowest point potentially. That was your sort of rock bottom. I think my story was my rock bottom. But would you be able to explain, I guess, that situation, that relationship that you were in? Yeah, absolutely. So in, uh, let's see, in 1999, basically, that's when I married who I thought was the love of my life. Mm. And I thought he was the man of my dreams, and we were going to have children and build our lives together. And he really swept me off my feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the problem came after that, like he was rushed in and was, you know, doing all kinds of things, best boyfriend, you know. But he got me pregnant right away. I had uh, two little girls. And about 10 years in, it was, a, it was a very tough relationship, very tough. I did not yet have the word for what it was. Yeah. But I knew that marriage was not, a relationship was not supposed to be like that. But about 10 years in, I had a, my little daughter. She was seven years old. She wanted to get on the family computer. And so I, I helped her get through the password and my husband's email 
was up and there was a, a Craigslist confirmation email and that confirmed that he was advertising himself on Craigslist for more than just relationship purposes. And so my stomach did a flip. I was like, my, you know, I, I, my head was spinning. You know, I knew the relationship was really bad. I knew it was tough, but I was trying to be strong for the kids, trying to stay there so that the family act and all kinds of things like that. But reality just came crashing down around me. And, um, and so that's that's when it started. I just that's the the moment I realized. I, I thought, you know what, my girls, my two little seven and nine year old girls are watching this relationship, and just because they are doing that, they're watching, they're observing me be in emotional abuse because that's what it was with the sociopath. They're in danger. They're in danger themselves of growing up and getting in the exact same relationship, and that broke my heart. I could not imagine my two little girls being in an abusive relationship like this. And that's the moment I, I stopped crying about it, and I started writing and started doing something about it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. The shit, sh like, shivers up my spine. I've got goosebumps right there when I'm, like, hearing that story. And the best yeah. thing, of, like, what you said was around your children because there was a quote when I was going through mine and it was like, don't accept being in a relationship where you would not allow or encourage your daughter to be treated that way or you would yes. literally lose it at your son for treating a woman that way. And that was my click, like, oh, my gosh, that's my standard, right. meaning my son can do that because I'm accepting that in my life as well. And that's what hit me. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's not just me. It's my children as well. Right. Yeah, when I, when I saw that Craigslist posting, I realized that that strength that I was trying to have to keep the family intact and do all kinds of stuff, um, that strength was really just acceptance of a very sad way of living, acceptance of abuse, accepting being emotionally abused. And um, I, that, that's the moment I just I said, no, I am, I am not going to do this. And... Um, it did get worse. It got worse before yeah. the divorce was final, as you probably know, and lots of people listening know. It just gets worse when they get uh, when you cross a narcissistic sociopath. Um, but it was it was worth it to get out. Yeah, and that is one thing I will say. It is so worth it to get out to get out. of that relationship. There is such a happier life on the other side. Yes, I always say it is greener on the other side. It is like don't think it's not. <laughs> But when it comes to you know being in that sort of emotional abuse relationship, when did you realize what he was doing? Like when did you actually realize down the track actually it is emotional abuse or you're pulling together his patterns and behaviors? Like when did that did that hit you? You know, I, I didn't ever really realize it was emotional abuse. The 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 moment I had a word for it. I thought it might have been borderline personality. You know, all along I was doing some research and trying to figure it out, but I never did get the word until it, throughout the, the the course of the divorce, uh, the court ordered us all to have psychological evaluations. The kids, me, him, and we did. And the psyche eval guy, the psychologist, he said, "Listen, he is a sociopath, and he is off the charts." 
I, I, I would need to do additional testing. He was so far off the charts. And so, and so that's when I thought sociopath. Oh my gosh. I, I thought those were people that, that did, you know, were the, the subjects of lifetime movies or something like that. And, and in reality, you could probably could have, <coughs> excuse me, you probably could have put, turned my life into a lifetime movie. Yes. I agree. Yes. Because that's what you, you don't know. It's emotional abuse. Like you just have all these little things, but you don't know what the words. And that was exactly like me. I was like, he's doing all these things. He's saying all these things. He's manipulating me. But how, what is that word for it? And I didn't know until after the relationship, same thing, when the psychologist went, he's a narcissist. He's like off the charts as well. And that's why I was like, oh my gosh, what the hell am I dealing with? What was I going through? Like you don't even realize it until you're out of it. But for those that don't know what a sociopath is, in your eyes, what is a sociopath and what were the behaviors and the patterns that he was doing? Great, great question. So a sociopath uses other people for their own good, right? They just use people. They have no emotions. They can mimic emotions really, really well. For instance, when my kids were young, um, he would see me interacting with them and he would understand then how to interact with the kids. When we got a divorce and they were growing up and the, the court said, hey, it's in the kids' best interest for you to get out of the state. And I'm like, I'm gone. <laughs> See yeah. you later. So he saw them a couple of times a year, three times a year. But in that time where they grew and, you know, <clears throat> you no longer talk child talk to a 14-year-old or, or, you know, he had no clue how to interact with them. No clue. And I saw he would put mashed potatoes on their nose and things like that. I'm like, you, you don't do that to a teenager. It's not funny at that point in time. So if you see them start to slip, maybe, or you see somebody who can mimic emotions, they're very, very charming. Initially, one of the huge, huge red flags is they get you to feel sorry for them. Yes. So they might tell a tale of woe or my poor childhood or, or my boss doesn't appreciate me and I'm, I'm quitting, I'm walking out or, he, you know, I walked out every six months just about from a, from a job. Um, but getting you to feel sorry for them gets co-ops your nurturing nature, your emotions to bond with them, to try to, like, let me, I'll be the one that believes in you, right? And they've painted all this huge picture of how, what a great person they are. And so, of course, you're going to want to help somebody who's a good person, but they really, really aren't. So that's a very, very first red flag is somebody that gets you to feel sorry for them, you watch out. Yeah. And then the, um, the next thing is that love bombing. Love bombing. If somebody loves the same food you love, loves the same movies you love, um, brings you flowers, does all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a knight in shining armor. Wouldn't we all love that? But really, it's not real. It is not real. So you need to start digging and start looking into some of these things because um, mine, uh, uh, later on in the relationship, he would tell people, you know, he was a physical therapist or start, you know, and all that sort of thing. He worked at this physical therapy office. And I'm like, and I, I didn't call him out on this. I'm like, you, you clean the equipment. You're not a physical therapist. 
<laughs> you clean the equipment. <laughs> and but again, um, and people, you know, you might say, well, I don't don't realize you went to school, or I don't realize this. You know, when you start thinking some of those things, call them out. They cannot stand to be called out on those things, mm -hmm. and that's when they're going to start backing off. Yeah. Right. So take keep looking for. You know, if someone says they went to Harvard, do a search. It'll be on the web, right? Do start doing searches and looking at those type of things that are too good to be true. No, that's really good advice. Like really good advice that one, because they they do do that and they do woo you. And there was a psychiatrist that I interviewed last week um, and released their session this week, and he said, "Don't you should be afraid of the people that are really charming." And he said that. Yes. So he's like, don't tell your children to be wary of all these other people. He said, if they are too charming and they woo you and there is nothing wrong with them, he's like, they're the people you should be afraid of these days because that's the sociopaths, that's the narcissists, and that's how they get you. So they make you feel like you're the only thing in their world and they know everything about you and they, they target you as well, which I didn't know. They target to see if you've got vulnerability so then they can – you know, attach themselves to that, which was mind-blowing for me. But, for you know, when, as a woman, when you're going through that, you've got children, you're trying to nurture them because that's our thing. We see a little broken bird. We want to fix the broken bird, of even course. though they've broken their own wing and we don't even know it. But, <laughs> but how did you get clarity within yourself? Because I know sometimes the emotion just, it yeah, you know, it makes you feel like you're going crazy. How did you get clarity in your mind with what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's it is it's crazy. And when you're under that much stress, and I I was in that relationship for ten years, and I, again trying to keep the wheels on the bus for the family, trying to keep the finances because he would never keep a job, mm -hmm. etc. And you know, your brain is in a stressed out fog. You're forgetting things. You're you know, you're just trying to do what is right in front of you, the next step to get through. Yeah. And what happens is you're when you're in that mode, you're you're not making your best decisions. Right? So what happened to me was I my mom gave me some money for my birthday. And I thought, I'm not gonna put this toward bills. <laughs> I'm gonna spend it on myself. And I wanted to do a writing class. They had a writing class at a at a local um, bookstore. And I, it was a memoir class. And so I started writing my stories. I'm like, here's the crazy thing that happened to me. I, I had a bug in my car or, you know, I found a, I had to go to a spice store to, to, um, to determine if there was a bug in my car and the police um, came or this, this is what happened or the, the wires were cut on my heater in the middle of winter. You know, crazy, crazy stories. And I would write them and bring them every Friday, like everybody else brought their stories, and they would hold my stories in their hands, just tenderly and carefully. And it was so amazing to have someone else hear you. Mm -hmm. And when you find the words for what's happened to you, when you put them down in black and white, you actually gain power over your story. You gain so much clarity. Every person I've ever talked to write their life stories, say that is the biggest thing, the clarity on, for instance, I, I wonder how did I, a professional woman, I was a professional woman, I was making six figures, I'm like, how did I, how in the world did I get into an abusive relationship? No clue. 
But when I started writing, I started seeing those things. I'm like, oh, I accepted that. This is what happened, or here's how I got. Um, I, I see it much more clearly. But not only do you see it, but you have compassion for yourself. You need to have compassion. These people prey on intelligent women, uh, women who are nurturers, who, who want to help everybody else. And that's it. those are good qualities, right? But they can also be used against you. So you have to have self-compassion. And when you write down your story, when you write through those tough times, those words, that story loses its power over you. And you, literally, by writing them out, erasing them, changing them, you have the power over your story. And that's that's where the transformation happens. That's I think that's beautiful because that's exactly what I say in one of my videos is how did I get clarity? I was secretly writing things that were happening and leaving at work because he would yes. go through my house. And I would love for you to talk about the bug story because I also had my phone and my laptop tapped. So he had mm -hmm. devices and apps on it. I didn't even know. And he... I'll get you to say your story, yes. but I was, I've never heard anyone else go through that. And when you spoke about that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only yeah. one. So would you have to share your story? Yes, I will. I'll share the bug story, but before I do that, I'm going to share another story. Yeah. Um, nothing is safe in your home or in your car. Nothing is safe. So I had my own computer, my own laptop computer, and I had found a forum where people talked about, hey, here's what's happening and, and what is this all about, you know, with tough relationships. So and it seemed like people were doing this, having the same type of experience. So I would, uh, I was just exploring that. Well, I got on one day and I found that I, in quotes, had said something about that. I'm like, well, I didn't, I haven't been on here in a week and it was just yesterday. And I took my laptop to a computer place and they said, oh yeah, you have a keystroke logger on your computer. So any password, any email, any um, website you've been on, this person knows. And they get your passwords. And then he was going on the forum and acting as if he were me when I was just trying to find out what this whole situation was all about. Crazy. Oh crazy. my gosh. Yeah, so your phone can have the same exact same thing. The, your laptop, your desktop computer. Now, I'll tell you about the, the bug story. So when I discovered he was offering you know, himself uh, on Craigslist, the next day I went to the, uh, an attorney. I'm, I'm like, that was it. That flipped the switch. That was like, okay, I'm going to do something about this. Went to an attorney. On the way home, I called my mom. I said, here's what's happened. My mom and I are really close. Mm. And the, the attorney said, get the computer, the desktop computer, take it to a computer forensic person, and they will prove that it's, you know, that it, it that Craigslist email came from them, your divorce will be easy. <laughs> so I, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to do it that night. So I thought, the next morning, on the way to work, I'll come down, grab the computer, and run and go to work, right, in my car. Came down the next morning, it was gone. A desktop computer was totally gone. And he came in and he said, I am going to take your job, I am going to take your the kids, I'm going to take the house, and I am going to take you down. He was spitting mad, and my heart was racing. I was scared to death. 
So that computer was gone, of course. So I didn't have any proof. And then, you know, naturally, long drawn out divorce. But I wondered, how in the world did he know? I'm like, my mom would never have told him. I called the attorney. I said, you know, did he get to you? Did Were you his attorney? And then you were trying to get me to tell the story. Yeah. And she's like, no, there's that attorney client. I'm like, no way. And um, so I called up this, it's called the spy store. And I said, how can you tell if there's a bug in your car? He said, there's no device that can scan your car to see if you have a bug. But I tell people to, when I sell these devices, just to put them underneath the dash and so you can feel underneath the dash on the passenger side. So I went in my car, felt underneath, and a little thin wire fell down. And I immediately knew, I immediately knew this was it because it had a little thing on it that said Radio Shack. Like, oh, okay, this does not belong to the car. And so I immediately took it to the police, and a police woman came out and, and um, traced that wire to a little microphone of my steering column. And she said the wire was so thin, there's no way they could get fingerprints on it. And again, these people, they fly under the radar. They just do enough to get you, but not enough to get caught. Mm. They're very subtle, very sly. In fact, um, I don't think I told you this before, but one of the things I discovered was um, my nightly tea. I would have some tea every night, and that would get so tired. And one time, uh, I didn't drink my tea, and I thought, well, I'll just drink it on the way to work in the morning. I did. I got so sleepy. I could not. I had to pull over at a grocery store parking lot. I, I was afraid I was going to have a wreck. I was so sleepy. And the, I was cleaning the kitchen one day, and I found sleeping pills that apparently had been using to poison my nightly tea. So, oh my God, they're very devious. Very devious. Oh and my gosh, I'm in shock. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And I can talk about it now, but, you know, whatever you can imagine, the most horrible thing, it, it, it could possibly happen when you, you're involved with a sociopath. It really could. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so get away. If you are listening to this and you're seeing some of those, protect yourself, find a way to protect yourself, yeah. and then get out of that relationship. And that was going to be my next question. Once you have figured out what they're doing, I think the, the toughest thing for me was getting out and making sure they didn't know that I was trying to get out because that's when they can yeah. flip the most. And for me, my yes. biggest advice was you get clarity, but do not change your behaviors. You have to pretend you're that still that separate housewife that does whatever you were doing because the moment right. they know what's going on, that's when they can flip. So for me, that's right. how I had to do it. I had to play the game like, oh, yeah, 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 to get out. So for you, what would be your advice? If you're seeing the signs, you think you're dating a sociopath or a narcissist, how do you manage them? And then how do you escape safely as well? Yeah. The first thing I would do is, Use your, if you go to work, use your work phone, use your work email, uh, call your friends and family from work or from another uh, another friend. Um, start something where you have a, a weekly class 
or you meet with a friend weekly so that you have a safe place to go and um, make your plans. So you would need to, you would want to go to a different bank and start a new account, right? So you can, um, because what they will do, they'll drain all your bank accounts. They'll do. So get everything in place. The other thing I would do is call a shelter. You don't ever have to go to it. I actually went into a shelter for a couple of nights. Crazy, crazy story. But yeah, I actually went to a shelter. And then last year I had an emotional abuse summit. I interviewed a, um, the national, uh, one of the national nonprofit organizations that help women yeah. financially. And they said they have a checklist. They're like, here's what you need to do to protect yourself before you leave because it is the most dangerous. When they realize they have no they, they've lost the control over you, and they will hurt you as much as they possibly can. Yes. Yeah. If not physically, definitely financially, emotionally, psychologically, they will take everything that means anything to you. When uh, when I was getting divorced, he took all the kids' photos, scrapbooks, anything that meant anything to me out of the house, gone, totally gone. And he would... He would take, you know, those little bitty school photos that from your kids, little bitty square ones, you know. Yeah. He would, every once a week, he would go and put one on the counter just as a tease, just to say, hey, I've got everything you could possibly want, and you can't have it. Oh. So, so yeah, very psychological. The other thing is they will also try to charm you back into their lair yes. and do not fall for it. They will say, "Oh, let's go to mediation. Let's let's. Uh, I really love you. I want to have a life with you, and mm -hmm. uh, um, I want to make this up. Let's 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 talk it through. Let's agree on things." They will not. They're going to waste your money. Mm -hmm. They're going to waste your attorney's time. They are going to renege on the agreement, um, which will then cost you more money to enforce the agreement if they uh, if the court actually um, makes something happen. So, the best way, the best thing to do is go no contact. Yes. No contact. Do not even, like, block them from your phone, from your Facebook, from your... And um, ahead of time, talk to your friends and your family and say, listen, it's extremely important to me that you do not talk to this person. Never, ever talk to this person. You make sure that your friends and family are aware that it could very much hurt you. Yes. Because they will try to go to your friends, your family, you know, say, oh, she's she's unbalanced or she's under stress or she's not, not making great decisions. But I just love her and I try to try to do the best for her. And she's just rejecting all my, my attempts to help her live a better life. And a lot of times they're going to buy it. Yes. They will buy into that. So even before you leave, when everything is still appearing to be normal, Talk to your friends and family and say, listen, here's what's happened. Point to a resource and say, "Here, this is what this person is like. I want you to know how extremely important it is that you do not talk to this person. And um, don't don't have regrets. Don't, don't say, gosh, maybe he really was trying to, um, you know, trying to be nice. Maybe he really was trying to have a, give me a, help me have a better life. Maybe, no. No, I agree there. Your instincts, follow your instincts. Yeah, that's why you say you follow your gut. And something I say is 
that first gut instinct or that, that alarm bell right at the start of your relationship that women tend to ignore and you go, oh, this person could really hurt me. How That gut instinct is how you're going to end your relationship. And that's what I said. I said, this person will hurt me physically and emotionally, I think. But I ignored it. I ignored that sign. And then about three years later, I'm like, oh, and that's the reason why I'm leaving because of that initial thing. So I'm like, if your gut says this, get out. Abort mission yeah. straight away. Don't waste your time. But Don't waste your time. Yeah, exactly. One of the other questions I was going to say, ask you was post the relationship. So you go through all that, but one of the biggest things I found was post the relationship, like the healing, the forgiveness, the side effects, all of that stuff. It's hard to get out, but then for me it was even harder to cross that line and actually get over the other side to be happy. So for you looking back, what do you think your side effects were off the back of that relationship and how did you heal yourself? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. I would say one of, the, one of the biggest side effects that come from a relationship like this and, and it's almost universal is the inability to make decisions. Yeah. What do you have for dinner? I don't know. I was you told. Know, yeah. Because mm -hmm. they, they're so controlling and you're always – worried, uh, they keep you off balance, well, why did you make that for dinner, why don't you make this, And, and uh, mm. or what movie did you go to, uh, your decisions and your control has been taken away for so long, the length of your relationship, really, that that muscle, that decision muscle is atrophied, mm. so you have to start getting back to, okay, I'm going to go to a movie, I, it, it got to a point where it originally, I wanted to take myself out to a movie. I wanted to treat myself. And I could not figure out what movie to go to. And it didn't matter. It was just me. It did not matter. For, for me, it was like, I don't I don't care. Mm. And to this day, now I can make good decisions and, and make healthy decisions and make decisions for myself. But to this day, still, when somebody says, you know, where do you want to go to eat? I honestly do not care. When you've been through stuff like that, the, the triviality of trying to make a decision for where to go for dinner or you know, mm -hmm. about to eat, it really is nothing in the big scheme of things. So so I still sometimes struggle with that. But one of the best things that you, you mentioned, how did I get past that? Uh, how, did I, how did I heal? Because you do, you have to forgive yourself and have self-compassion is writing. And I did a lot of research. After I started that class, I started doing a ton of research and there are amazing studies done about writing through tough times mm -hmm. that help you heal you psychologically, emotionally, and even physically. Writing through your tough times and about those tough times uh, actually boosts your immune system. So yes, it's tough remembering what's all those horrible things, um, mm -hmm. the, the morals that you lowered to be in that relationship, mm -hmm. the... Um, the things that you feel like you maybe complied with that you shouldn't have, um, the regrets that you have, the shame. Mm -hmm. It seems counterintuitive to write all that out, but really you can't just squish it down to the back of your head. That is going to come back, and it affects how you operate in the world. It honestly does. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to write it out, see that clearly for what it is, forgive yourself, mm -hmm. and I would say forgive the other person. Not what they did, uh, but 
that forgiveness is for you, not for them, right? That doesn't mean you accept that person. That doesn't mean you have any interactions with that person. But as you're writing, you're like, this is done. This is out of my life. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. And be good with yourself. So uh, there's, I, I always say there's four steps to, to writing out your story. The first thing is you have to embrace your story. You have to embrace it happened. Yeah. You know, it happened. Probably and there are yeah. thousands and thousands of other stories just like yours. So you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And then you have to enable your story. And that's by writing out, well, here's a scene, here's what's happened, or here's a scene, here's what's happened. And um, just understand that there are lots of memories and lots of things that have happened in, in your brain. And you might have, like, forgotten a bunch of them. But as you're writing, you're going to remember. And so those memories can't hurt you they can't come back to haunt haunt you you're getting them out in the open wiping your brain clean getting that you know out the cobwebs etc so that's the second one enhancing your story that's crafting it into a really cool story so that maybe then you can share it with somebody else and um and that's the fourth thing is elevate your story elevating your story means um, sharing it with the world and you don't ever have to do that because the healing takes place as you're writing your stories. But I always say, what if there's somebody just about to go through what you went through? Or what if there is somebody absolutely in the middle of going through what you have been through? Wouldn't you want to reach out and help them? And your story could be that, that helping hand that they need. Oh my gosh, we are so similar. Like how you just said, like the writing, that's what I did. I'm like a big writer now. Before, I was not like that. And now I'm like, that's how I express myself. And that's exactly yes. what I said is I was so scared of my story. And then it got to the point, I was like, what if me sharing this story helps one other person get out of it early and not have to go through that whole process? And that's why I was like, oh, my gosh, that's how I you know, process the whole thing. But I want to ask you, what made you want to share your story with the world and start, you know, your summits and all of that around the trauma and all that? Like, what made you go, that's it, I'm going to share my story with the world, I'm going to embrace that power vulnerability, and what was that process for you? How did you get there? You know, when I started doing that research and around the psychology of it and the uh, I, I started digging into the, the art and the psychology, and I realized the power that writing had to heal, and I knew that it helped me. I'm like, why not give somebody else a shortcut? Why should I like hold my story back and be selfish with that, even though I, I'm ashamed that I allowed that sort of thing? Why should I let that not give somebody else the relief? Right, and I, I'm I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help ten thousand women write their life stories, recover, and give them a shortcut. I, it took me a long time to, to write this out. It took me a long time to get over. But why not give somebody else a shortcut? And I absolutely love that. And then early on, I started as I started sharing my story a little bit with some friends and family. Someone else said, "Oh my gosh, yes, I have had the same thing." And I'm like. Well, start writing here. Tell me what's happened. And and when you're sharing that with somebody else, like I said, you know, my writing group held my story in their hands without judgment. Wow, that is such relief. It is such a beautiful thing that um, your, your heart can heal. And why wouldn't you want to help somebody else? 
I know it's it's hard. It's it's amazing how a story like this can connect you with so many other people and like that empathy that you know, especially you know, domestic violence. As I will say, it happens to both men and women, but men don't yeah. speak about it enough. I don't think, right. or it's not in the hot. We don't talk about it enough. But as soon as like a woman speaks about something like that, I think it's so beautiful that we just we just connect and we go. And we have that empathy and we want to take that pain away from the person. And I think it's just, I think it's just a beautiful yeah. thing. Like as soon as I shared my story, I had over 50 women contact me on LinkedIn, especially, and were like, I'm a survivor too and all of this. And it was so overwhelming because I was like, what? I didn't expect people to come share their stories with me or send me photos and all of this stuff yeah. through their experience. But then you remember the stats as well. And it's, you know, here in Australia, it's one woman a week is killed from domestic yeah. violence. And that's what put it into right. perspective for me. Like 50 of those women just approached me and we're based, that's a statistic right there. Like all those women could have been um, at the hands of the other end. So right. I think it's just powerful. It's scary, but it's powerful that we're all opening up our stories and stuff like that. So yeah. I take my hat off to you for what you're doing as well honestly. thank you now not everybody's going to understand so if you have a friend or family member who has never been involved in a situation like this they might have no clue what you're yes. talking about keep going it doesn't yes. matter keep writing keep sharing your story mm. um, thank goodness that those people have not yes. been in connection with this narcissist or sociopath thank goodness just Forgive them for not understanding your situation. So you're gonna you're gonna get that. Don't worry. Keep on going. Keep sharing your story. Keep getting out of that situation mm-hmm. and saving yourself because um, it's it's confusing. Like when I was telling originally my friends and family, and, and I could tell some of them just didn't get it. I, I felt bad. Um, in fact, when I was telling my story, I, I told my mom. Here's what's happened this day. Next day, I would call my older sister. The next day, I would call my younger sister. And then I would go back to my mom. I didn't think anybody could handle the entire horrific, awful story. And so they all understood. They're very, very supportive. You can find a few friends. And it's so much easier now online to find a few friends that are um, that have gone through something similar and, and share that. It's, it's totally amazing. But keep on going, even if you see resistance, even if you feel resistance, even if somebody else doesn't understand, that doesn't mean you're wrong. It no. does not mean you're wrong. Keep on going. That's really good advice as well because not everyone goes through this, but how I link it is we all go through some sort of trauma. It might not be yeah. this. Take the whole, look at it from the whole angle. Like you go through a situation, you got to recover. It's all the same thing. It's the same sort of right. process as well. Right. And something I did want to touch on, you said you spoke to your family and your friends about it. They didn't necessarily know probably what was going on and it was probably a bit confronting. How did you manage that? Because for people that have no idea what's going on in your life, and for me, I'm, from my story, I didn't tell anyone until I released my video. So that was really confronting for family and friends that were like, you went through this and we didn't even know. So how did right. you manage that with your family and friends as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And the reason is we are so good at putting up a front. 
-hmm. We're so good at excusing the behavior of that other person. We're so good at sweeping these things under the rug. Mm -hmm. Everything's fine. I'm fine. No worries, etc. That when that when we do finally come out and have this and, and share this, they are a lot of times shocked. Yeah. That's okay. You're not you're not responsible for their their emotions, right? You're only responsible for your own. So I did it similar to yours, but not with the video. I did it through my writing. So as I wrote these crazy stories, and I gathered them into, because uh, the writing class was all about, yes, junk. It's a lot of junk that you're gathering in your writing. Mm -hmm. Form that junk into a beautiful story, into an amazing story. And so I had my stories uh, that were not publishable yet, but in, in a good form that here's what's happened. I became a lot clearer about here's what's happened and in a form that other people could read. And then I shared it. I shared it with my friends and my family. It's like, um, I'd love for you to read something. Would you mind helping me um, through this? I'm in a memoir writing class or I'm, I'm writing my life story and I want to share this with you. And I'd love your thoughts on it. And you can do simply that. You can do a video. You can do whatever. It's much easier when you gather all of that crazy stuff into like a document, into mm. your stories, into something cohesive. Because it's what, at least for me, when I just start saying something, or when I did it first, it was like, oh, here's this, oh, here's that, and I would forget things, and um, it seems scattered, and you seem spacey. If someone says you seem spacey. You are not. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Your brain is just trying, is firing on all, it's, it's just you're in a brain fog. And that's what writing does. Writing helps clear that fog. And here's what I always say. As human beings, we have a huge capacity for pulling the wool over our own eyes. And what writing does, when it brings you clarity, you take that wool away and you get power over your words and then your words are powerful mm -hmm. and they can help other people see clearly as well what you went through. And then they can empathize with you. Then they can um, support you. You know, a lot of my friends have never been through something like that. They said, what can we do to help? Mm -hmm. Let them. What would be your advice for, you know, let's say family or friends that know that their loved one is going through it? What do you think the best advice for them is? Because I know when we're in that situation, we don't talk about it and we don't mm -hmm. want, because we're trying to protect the other person. That's what we're doing. Right. So if you know one of your loved ones is going through, what do you think the best advice for them would be? If it's before they're getting out of that relationship, mm -hmm. you can't say, that's a bad person, you need to get out. Yeah. That is totally the wrong thing to say because... <laughs> They don't understand that they are in emotional abuse and those claws, those hooks are in them, right? They're going to make excuses, they're going to backtrack, and they can't yet see on the other side that there's a more beautiful life. All they see is the fear and they're stuck and their boundaries are all over the board. In fact, they usually probably don't have any boundaries and they're codependent. What you can do is give them a safe space. Don't be judgmental. Have coffee with them. Go for coffee weekly and let them talk. And then you can say, hey, I wonder, there's this one resource. It's, uh, you know, and give them a resource for them to check out on their own. Don't say, I think you're in a narcissistic abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. they, they will back off. 
But if you introduce something and say, hey, I wonder, I was I was looking at this website, or I was reading this book, or I was reading whatever, give them a resource to do a little research on their own and start saying, you know, um, and here's what I did with my kids as well. Because you can't say anything bad about your ex or what that relationship at all when you're in a court situation. I would point out to a woman yelling at her child in the grocery store, and I would say, wow, I wonder how that child feels. I wonder if they feel unloved. I wonder if if they're scared right now. And, um, you know, have you ever felt scared? And so uh, you can point out things in the news, point out other people's behavior, sneaky behavior, anything. Point it out to that person and say, I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like that. And let them ponder that. Let them, you know. Um, or I read this article on abusive behavior. It was really fascinating. It said X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, I, that's it's it's sad that someone would have to live through that or in that. And you know, I you know I would support anybody who who was um, trying to get out or something like that. Mm-hmm. So point them in the right direction, but don't just be judgmental and say, you need to leave them right away. Why are you still there? Yeah. That does not help the situation. No, I agree what with that. What about in a roundabout way? Yeah, I agree with that. If you're too direct, they're too protected and they can't see it, and you get defensive. And I would have done that. Yeah. If my friends and family did that, I would have been like, no, nah, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. But in that indirect right. way, guiding and finding the clues and them figuring out themselves, I think that's a, a, a better way to approach it. My final question for you is looking back at that whole relationship now, knowing what you know today, 2019, if you had to go back in time and relive it, but you could take one piece of advice from yourself today, what would it be to go back through all that? Oh. It's a big one. Well, depending on how far back, I I would say – I would say one piece of advice, Stacy, you are worthy. Beautiful. Because that's where it started from. I did not feel worthy of love. I did not feel like I had a voice or I should have a voice. Mm-hmm. And if I had known that I was worthy, I would have stuck up for myself much more often. Actually, I probably wouldn't have even gotten in that relationship in the first place. <laughs> you are worthy. You are worthy, and that's exactly what I would take back. That is powerful, and it all comes down to that because, as I said at the start, they target you. If you're insecure or you're going through a really bad you know, time in your life, that's the moment that they grab you to go, yep, you're, you're weak, I can isolate you, I can manipulate you, all that sort of stuff. You're really caring, I can use it against you. Like They know, and I think, they that's, they, I think that's beautiful. You're worthy. That is really, really good. That's powerful. Oh, my gosh. Your story is just, like, amazing. I don't even know what to say. Like, <laughs> Thank you. It's, and it's so similar. It's different. It it's is. Similar. It's universal. And that's one, like, oh, my gosh. The, if, you know, someone's going through this, they could pick up at least one thing from your story or one thing from mine and go, okay, I can see the patterns here. But I think what you're doing to share your story and then help other people go through this, I think you have to be the change you want to see in the world. And I think 
Absolutely. You are doing that to a take, basically. Thank you. No. Thank you. And you are too. That's why I, I, I love it that I'm here because uh, the more voices that can talk about this mm. situation, the more education that we can get, especially even young girls getting into relationships, if they don't have to tolerate uh, you know, this type of behavior, the better. I agree. I agree completely. Oh, well, that's all the questions that I have because I could literally talk to you all day about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a talker. You're a talker as well from the sound of it. <laughs> but I honestly want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and taking the time out of your crazy schedule. And yeah, when do, when's your summit? You've got that uh, I, I did the summit last year. I am launching Life Story Laboratory in a couple of weeks, end of November. And Life Story Laboratory is where I take a group of women through writing their own life stories and teaching them the benefit of it as well as how to, to turn those tough times and actually learn the wisdom that they've not just learned but implement the wisdom. As you're going through tough stuff like this, you, you learn wisdom, but you don't necessarily always implement it. Mm -hmm. But how can you implement that wisdom? And so um, it's going to be a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited as well. It sounds like amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I honestly, this is empowering, and I know that other people going through this would be able to relate 100% to your story, or even if they're not, there is lots of wisdom within this. Perfect. Thank you, Ash. I really appreciate this, and thanks for what you're doing in the world. Well, thank you so much.